Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Uh, so, in 1938, 85 years ago, um, not a lot of us were around back then. Some of us might have been. Uh, Harvard University began what is now the longest social uh, research project that we have ever done as a people. Uh, they studied physical and mental well-being among adults. It started with 724 participants. Uh, 268 of them were current sophomores at Harvard University, so we're talking pretty elite individuals, and they're in Boston. And then the other uh, 456 were young adults from the community around that same 19 to 21 age. Uh, included in that group was the late uh, president, 35th president, John F. Kennedy. Uh, other dozens of doctors, CEOs, lawyers, uh, a couple national newspaper editors, um, and then just people from the community who, who were of that same age range. And they wanted to figure out what made a happy and healthy person. And so they went through physical data, social data, spirituality, marriages, kids, everything. Financial status, their jobs, family history, they recorded everything. And every couple of years, they'd send out a survey, and these people would fill it out. They might do an in-person survey. They'd do some blood work. They did the whole gamut. Uh, and then, so roughly six years into the project, after gathering you know, decades of research, uh, these people were now right about 80 years old, the ones who were still with us. And they realized, hey, we can look back 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and start to see patterns about what got people to 80 and what made them happy and healthy compared to other people who were 80 and who were miserable and cranky. Um, you know, that's a really official term. Um, <laughs> And so what they figured out, and what kind of blew their mind at the beginning, so this was in the late 90s, so 1998 was the 60-year, excuse me, 2008, 60-year mark. Um, what they figured out was it was not cholesterol levels, it was not how much red meat they ate, or how many vegetables they ate, or how much they worked out. While all those things were important, what they figured out was everything was trumped dramatically by their successful and strong relationships. I want to say that again. Staying healthy was, was important. They knew that. But it was their quality of relationships is what brought out a huge difference between these people. So they could see somebody, when they took their data at 50, they could see the trends and look back and be like, on this you know, by statistically, they are going to be a healthy, happy person at 80 years old. That's good news. So the past few weeks, our Hallways uh, Sermon Series has us going through topics that ultimately bring us to a place where we can seek and receive the Holy Spirit and make it a priority in our lives. And today, if you haven't guessed it yet, we're talking about relationships and we're talking about community. And so we know that God made us for relationships. We, that is so clear. And even from, from the beginning of Scripture, we see in Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. And so, you know, we go on further, and God put Adam into deep sleep. 
pulled out a rib and created Eve, which, sure, because that makes sense. But he knew that Adam, it was not good for him to be alone, so he created Eve and created a partner and then helpmate with him. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that marriage-wise that I am not smart enough or have enough time to get into. But from the beginning, we see that Adam needed someone. God made him to need somebody else. And so we see countless stories and examples all throughout Scripture that talk about relationships and community and that we're better for it. And so one of those phrases you may have heard is, you know, you got to find your hands in the desert people. If you don't know what that phrase means or that makes no sense to you, never fear because that's where we're going today. So uh, you will find us in Exodus 17, uh, chapter, uh, verses 8 through 13. Um, so Exodus, when you think about it, you're thinking, Moses, Israelites, uh, let my people go, the ten plagues, parting of the Red Sea, like all this crazy stuff, right? Ten commandments. Sandwiched in between parting of the Red Sea and the ten commandments, there's a few things that happen, and one of them is this seemingly minor but wildly important event of the first battle of the Israelites with the Amalekites. So let's take a look at it. Starting in verse 8. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. I'm going to stop there. So you're reading through all this stuff, plagues, uh, let my people go, slavery, Egypt, Pharaoh, all this crazy stuff is happening. And then there's a random battle right after water comes spewing out of a rock when they haven't drank anything for three days. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but if you're curious, curious about uh, all that stuff leading up to here, I would highly, highly recommend the award-winning The Prince of Egypt movie. Phenomenal music. Excellent, excellent movie. But what they don't show in The Prince of Egypt is this battle. Uh, it didn't come across good uh, for you know, groups of children to show battles. So they left it out. So uh, here we find the first mention of Joshua, uh, who if you, you study further into Scripture, the sixth book of the Bible is the book of Joshua, and he is the second appointed leader of the Israelites after Moses passes away. So it's pretty important. This is his first battle. Um, so Joshua goes out and leads the men. And these are men who had probably zero military training whatsoever. They just came out of slavery uh, on not a lot of food. So they're probably pretty thin, pretty weak, no training whatsoever. And Joshua's like, great, let's do it. We're going to do it. And the guys are like, great, I have a sword. I don't know what to do. Um, so there's not a lot of hope when you think about it. You're like, great, because you hear about all these battles, and they win pretty much every single one of them. You're like, oh, this is a no-brainer, but this is their first one. And so, I mean, this is the first, we're going. Here we go. Um, so let's talk about Aaron and her. Now, Moses took up to the top of the hill with the staff of God, the same staff that God used to part the Red Sea. Nothing magical about the staff, but this is the one that God gave 
to Moses. This is what he used as a shepherd before he came back to Egypt. Um, <clears throat> so Aaron, let's talk about him first. Brother of Moses, uh, the mouthpiece of Moses as well. If you think about, if you go back to Exodus 4, um, where it talks about the burning bush, and God is calling Moses to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, great, I'm not going to do it because I don't like to talk. They go back and forth, back and forth, and God eventually says, fine, you know what? I will give you Aaron, your brother, to be your mouthpiece. And Moses said, great. And we forget about that sometimes, that Aaron was right next to Moses a lot of the time because he did a lot of his speaking, and so they were tight-knit. They were both hearing from God. They had a phenomenal relationship. He was his brother. And then we find her as well, which we don't know a whole lot about for certain. Um, there's a possibility that he was married to Miriam, which was Aaron and Moses' sister, so he might have been his brother-in-law. Um, either which way, they had obviously a great relationship because Moses only took Aaron and her with him up to the mountain. We hear about him in a couple other places in Scripture. This one's kind of the highlight. The other cool thing is that... Um, Aaron and Hur were the appointed leaders while Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. Um, and that's when the golden calf was built and constructed and idolized and not a great time in history for the Israelites. Um, there is, not confirmed in the scripture, but a guess that Hur was like, dude, what are you guys doing? Like, stop. And the Israelites were like, we don't really care, so we're going to kill you. Um, we don't know that for sure, but... From what we know, Hur was a great friend of Moses. His grandson was the same one who built the tabernacle as well. Um, so his lineage had some great godly men as well in it also. So with that said, let's go back to verses 10 through 13. Now that we know a little bit more about Aaron and Hur, so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And when he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek, and his people with the sword. So, when you think about it, you're like, Moses couldn't keep his hands raised? Like, it doesn't sound that difficult. But when you think about it, I mean, keeping your hands raised for 12 hours, because they probably started the battle in the morning, and it says, so his hands were steady until the going down to the sun, which is setting at the sun, which is 12 plus hours, most likely. Um, for 12 hours, he had to keep his hands up that is no small feat. We also forget that Moses was 80 at this time, so he wasn't a young buck to keep it up. He did live to 120, but he was still 80. So Aaron and Hur knew he needed help. Moses knew he needed help. His gang, his community, stepped in. They placed a rock, a stone under him so that he could rest. And then they held up his hands on each side so that Israel 
would prevail because we knew keeping his, they knew keeping his hands raised with the staff was allowing Israel to win, when, frankly, they shouldn't have won. We're talking Amalek with a trained army attacking Israelites who just came out of slavery. The math doesn't add up. Have you ever been quite that tired? I'm not talking physically tired. I mean, keeping your hands raised for that long would be exhausting, but I'm talking mentally, emotionally. When you're in the fight of your life, and you know you need someone's help. Someone's help. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your marriage. It's your kids. It's work. I mean, there's, there's a hundred different things you're like, man, I need other people. I cannot do this by myself. I need other people to intercede on my behalf for me. So I don't know about you, um, but for me, I can give you an, exa- an example uh, on my life. So being, being a pastor and being pastoral ministry um, can sometimes put my family and I in, in lonely places. We, we, some of us travel the country to get an interview for a job in a city that we've heard about in a place we've never been to with people we don't know. And thankfully, by God's blessing, we were already a little bit a part of the community here in Oregon. So we knew a little bit, we didn't know Dallas, and we didn't really know any of you guys. Um, you know, we, we buy or rent a house, so we're like, yeah, this might be a good part of town, I have no idea. Um, come to find out, you know, we started on East Ellendale, and there's a few other roads here in Dallas, but um, I, remember, I remember when, when Pastor Jake and Riley were moving down, we uh, FaceTimed them, to show them apartments around town. And if you want a really embarrassing story for Lindsay and I, make sure to ask us afterwards. I'm not going to tell you here. Um, I'll just say we walked in on somebody's apartment that was not empty. Um, They were super friendly, but holy moly. (laughs) Whoops! (laughs) Our bad. Um, So... I don't, I, don't say this, I don't say this to garner sympathy. I actually say this for the exact opposite. So Faith Church, you guys, have been our Aaron and her many times over. The beginning of October marks five years for us being here. Uh, and in those five years, you guys have moved my family three times. And in those three times, there were staircases involved in every single one. Thank you. Thank you very much, and I'm so sorry. Uh, you, helped, uh, you helped fund the adoption of our oldest son. You threw us a baby shower without leaving with, uh, with no needs or wants. You're even rallying us around now as we renew our foster license. You walked with us and trusted us in church conflict. You held our babies, brought us dinners, gave us date nights, sent us gifts, and adopted us as your own in some of our hardest seasons. Um, and, and we have a life group right now that we can't even begin to explain uh, how much that my family and I need you guys. Um, you guys have loved us. You've sheltered us the last two years um, and have been a really big reason about why we are still able to do what we're able to do, why we haven't given up. And we know, without, we know for certain that God has used our life group to do these things for us. 
And I remember a few months in, they, uh, they told us, you can't scare us, you're safe here. Um, and our friends have been the heartbeat of this, of this church for our family. Um, you've been our community, you have placed proverbial rocks under us and held our hands up in the desert, um, in hard and good seasons. And so I share this with you because I get to take any chance uh, that I want uh, to say thank you from the stage. Um, and then two, we, Lindsay and I, know what fighting a battle looks like. We know what needing help on that battlefield looks like. We know how much we need community when we're in the midst of those things, when our arms are just too tired to be held up. <clears throat> when we don't have anything left, when the waves keep coming, when we're in desperate need, but we are so benefited when we hold up each other's arms. We are built and made for community. Miracles happen. Battles are won. Sin is broken. The Holy Spirit is alive and active in the community. The lost get found. Don't we want that? Right? We don't want to miss out on this beautiful picture that God has given us. We just sang earlier, the battle belongs to you. The battle belongs to God, and he partly uses us, our community, our relationships, to do it. So, Moses, Aaron, and her, physical battle, physically, two armies going at it. That's great. Let's take a look at a few other examples uh, throughout Scripture, um, because we're probably not going to find ourselves swinging swords at other people anytime soon. Um, but we've all been there with battles. So let's take Jesus, for example. Jesus, um, fully God and fully man. Um, if you want a good explanation on that, uh, Derek would be a wonderful resource for explaining that. Um, so just go ahead and ask. Um, but he could have done it himself. He could have done everything on earth himself. He was fully capable. But he chose a group of 12 men. And from what we see in Scripture, 12 men who, by Hebrew standards, probably didn't deserve to be walking around with Jesus for three years. He chose community. And then when he sent out the 72, which we see in Scripture as well, to different small towns around to spread the gospel, he sent them in pairs. He didn't send them by himself, even though that probably would have been more efficient. He sent them in pairs because he knew they needed community. He knew they needed that relationship. The Apostle Paul, when he was on his several missionary journeys, he had Barnabas with him, he had John Mark, or he had Silas at various times to be with him and reach the lost. We don't do it alone. God did not make us to do it alone. So uh, beyond these characters, beyond these people in the Bible and in history, we see community show up in real and dramatic ways. Uh, the Holy Spirit working in and through them and, and the Holy Spirit communicating through these authors about why we need people, about why we need relationships. So up on the screen, you're going to see a host of verses that I'm going to read through. Um, if you want to try to keep up with your Bible, you definitely don't have to. Uh, but just snap a picture of them so you can go through them later. Um, 
but just listen to Scripture as we are taught about community. So in Luke 5, 17 through 26, we see a paralyzed man being lowered through a roof by his group of friends to receive healing from Jesus because they can't get to him through the door because there's too many people. So they're like, great, we're going to cut a hole in the roof and we're going to drop him in on a mat just to get him right in front of Jesus because his friends believed, because his friends had faith, because he, the paralyzed man, had faith that Jesus could heal him, he received healing. In Luke 1, 39 through 45, we find Mary, the expectant mother of Jesus, visiting and staying with her aunt Elizabeth for three months right after she was told by the angel, you are with child. And she's like, how is this possible? I have no idea. This is going to ruin everything socially. This is going to mess up my future marriage with Joseph. She's like, great. I need family. I need community. So we see her with Elizabeth to receive comfort, peace of mind, unconditional love, and encouragement for the road ahead. If you look in the letters by Paul um, to the churches and to Christians, you'll find greetings at the beginning and you'll find um, encouragements at the end of each one. And in Romans 1, 11 through 12, has Paul telling the churches, I love to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul loved all the people he was ministering to and wanted to impart encouragement to keep the faith and fight the good fight for the kingdom. In Acts 2, we find the beginning of the church. That's kind of the, the popular verse that churches use. It's like, hey, this is the beginning of the church. This is what we should be looking like. Um, and this says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This was written right after Peter's sermon that brought 3,000 people into the fold of God's kingdom. So there was a lot going on here. Community was made. People were cared for, encouraged, fed, they found friendships and had all their needs met. Um, if you want to turn to Romans 12, 9 through 21, this was a beautiful passage um, that you guys would love. Um, and it's titled, Marks of the True Christian. And it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We just heard that in our prayer earlier today. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Colossians 3.13, Paul reminds us to forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. He says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against you, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Galatians 6.2 tells us, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will find the law, you will fulfill the law of Christ. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Proverbs 17.17 17 encourages us, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Romans 12.16, this is a verse we already read, but I'm using a different translation for this one. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And finally, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 tells us to consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. These verses, and there's, there's so many more, tell us that God created us for community. There's so much richness found in community. You know, we tend to go our own way when we are alone or by ourselves <clears throat> for too long. Um, and as the poster child of introverts, if some of you didn't know that, um, it's really easy to slip into that, to just do it myself and not ask for help and just keep on getting by. And you kind of sink into this just low-grade, uncomfortable, but I don't really want to fix it type of deal. It's easier to not ask for help. It's easier to not reach out, to not be vulnerable, and to not be open, but God made us for so much more. And if you don't know where to start, just throw some burgers on the grill, invite a few people over, and, and just hang out, right? We did that with our life group. We put chicken wings on the grill. It died halfway through. We got the grill going again. Dinner was like an hour late. And they're still with us. It's okay. Right? Don't apologize for your house being too small because if you've been over at our house, we don't have a lot of square feet and we make it work. Don't apologize for your house being messy because uh, we have kids and they are tornadoes, which is great and we love them. And frankly, it might be the first time another family with kids walks into another house and says, our house isn't the only war zone on the block. It might be the first time to where they're like, there's other people like us. Not everyone is perfect. That might be a huge open door for a family. So if I haven't, if I haven't said it enough, if you're not a part of a life group, get in one. 
We talked about it. Derek talked about it last week in his sermon. I'm talking about it now. Life on life, life in community, and life on mission. God made us for this. If, if you want to get included in one, reach out to Derek, reach out to me, reach out to Pastor Jake, reach out to Debbie. We will get something figured out, and we'll find a place for you so that you can build that community. And if you don't want to join one, just start one. Just, just invite people over and say, hey, we're having burgers, we're having cornhole, and, and we're going to have fun. And will it come naturally? Unless you're like my wife, probably not, because she would invite anybody over, which is great. And I love that about her. She has a gift of hospitality for sure. I do not. It is a learned spiritual practice. I've gotten better at it, but it, doesn't, it did not come naturally to me at first. Could you get hurt or rejected? Possibly. Relationships cost, but the payoff is phenomenal. It is so great. It's so worth it. God built us for them. So find that community. So today, I ask you, who is your Aaron and her? Who do you call when you need help? Who do you know who will have your back, will be with you in that season of keeping your arms raised? Who will pray for you for that day of deliverance and healing? Pray for your kids as their own. Pray for your marriage as their own, for your career, for your family, for your relationship with Jesus. Who will boldly and humbly approach the throne of grace with you in your hardest moments? And who will be there to celebrate your victories? Birth kids, uh, just career, your marriage is going great. All the celebrate that. That's important as well. It's not just the hard stuff, but it's just the people who are like, dude, this is awesome. We've been praying for years, and God came through. By your side when you're broken and hurting. And then, who calls you their Aaron and her? Are you there for someone at their worst? Are you 100% comfortable hearing their hurts, hearing their struggles, and being like, dude, first off, you got to stop. you got to kill sin. And second off, I'm here with you every single step of the way. Relationship will never change. If you're not there yet with a couple people or families, like I said, invite them over. Acts 2 says they ate food together. It's what they did, right? Just eat food. Just make some food and invite them over. Watch the Holy Spirit begin his holy work in you. Open up. Be real. Be a little vulnerable. And allow God to use community in and through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today... God, we recognize you built us to need others. We recognize that your spirit works wondrously and powerfully through others for our good. And God, a lot of the times we don't deserve 
this unconditional friendship that we may receive from others. There's times where we may have stepped on too many toes or said the wrong thing one too many times or made that mistake. But God, community was made for those moments to put a rock under us, to sit us down, to give us rest, and to hold our hands, and to approach your throne with boldness and humbleness on our behalf. God, these friendships, this community, it sharpens us, it loves us, it humbles us. All these things that you have made for us to experience you more deeply. So God, today we pray that if we haven't found those people, we can take our first step in just bringing them over, opening up our homes. And God, if we have those people already, thank you so, so much for them, for these relationships. You did not make us to do life alone. God, we love you. Pray all these wonderful things in your name. Amen.